0: Amen. This morning we are continuing in our Advent series, The Coming King, Comfort for All Who Mourn. And I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 52, Isaiah chapter 52. I'll talk for a few minutes about um, From Ashes to Beauty ashes to beauty listen to the word of the lord awake awake put on your strength o zion put on your beautiful garments o jerusalem the holy city for there shall no more come into you the uncircumcised and the unclean shake yourself from the dust and arise be seated o jerusalem loose the bonds from your neck O captive daughter of Zion, for thus says the Lord, you were sold for nothing, and you shall be redeemed without money. For thus says the Lord God, my people went down at the first into Egypt to sojourn there, and the Assyrian oppressed them for nothing. Therefore, what have I here, declares the Lord. Seeing that my people are taken away for nothing, the rulers well, declares the Lord, and continually all the day my name is despised. Therefore, my people shall know my name. Therefore, in that day they shall know that it is I who speak, here I am." How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. The voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voice together, they sing for joy, for eye to eye they see the return of the Lord to Zion. Break forth together into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Depart, depart, go out from there, touch no unclean thing. Go out from the midst of her, purify yourselves, you who bear the vessels of the Lord, for you shall not go out in haste. And you shall not go in flight, for the Lord will go before you, and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. This is the Word of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, as we together now as your people sit under the authority of your Word, we pray that you, by the power of your Spirit, would teach us, that you would speak a word to us this morning, Lord that will do that work in us, of transforming us into the image of your Son and our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray, Father, in his name, by the power of the Spirit. Amen. The song, Beauty for Ashes, by Victory Worship declares, No longer ashamed, no longer afraid. You have washed me white as snow. No longer bound, now I am crowned. Once in darkness, now, no. You save. You save. You give me beauty for ashes. And you pull me close to your heart. You have turned my mourning into dancing. That's what you do. That's who you are. Isaiah's prophecy Envisions Israel at a time in which shame and fear, the corruption of sin, captivity, humiliation, and darkness have overtake, overtaken her. He envisions a people in exile, a people who, because of their innumerable sins against the Lord, have been brought low by his discipline. A people given over into the hands of their enemies and made to sit in the dust. A a visual image, if you will, of their complete humiliation. Jerusalem was destroyed. The temple sacked and destroyed. And and the people carried off to a foreign land by force, together with all the horrors that you can imagine, that one can imagine during and after an invasion. What I'm saying uh, to you this morning, people of God, is that Israel was in ashes. All that she trusted in was in ruins, dust, ashes, except for one thing, the one thing that mattered most, namely her covenant with her God. And Israel knew it, which is, which is why in Isaiah 51 uh, verse 9, which begins uh, this section of prophecy, Isaiah speaking for the people, he, he cries out to God, awake, awake, put on strength, O arm of the Lord, awake, as in days of old, the generations long ago. In other words, wake up, God, and do what you did in the past. Wake up, God, and, and show us the strength of your arm again, your, your power to save and deliver. And, and as, if, as if He is responding to Isaiah and the people's cry, God, God turns the phrase back on His people in Isaiah 52 verse 1. He says, awake, awake, put on your strength, O Zion, put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city. In other words, I'm not the one who's asleep, Isaiah. I'm not, the one, I'm not the one that's asleep, Israel. Uh, nothing about me has, has changed. None of, none of my promises have changed. None of my purposes concerning you have changed. And watch this. None of my vision of you has changed. You are still in my eyes, the strong one, the beautiful one, the holy city. And, and you are that not because of what you have done. But because of what I have done, I made you strong. I made you beautiful. I made you holy. And though you sit in the ashes of captivity because of your sin, my salvation is not far away. My salvation is not far away. The Egyptians were no match for me. Assyria was no match for me, and neither will Babylon be a match for me. Indeed there is no power in heaven, on earth, or under the earth that is a match for God. His power to save from your enemies, both physical and spiritual, is not in question. Thus it's not God who needs to awake, but His people. It's not God who needs to rise from sleep, but His people. Israel needed to awake. Israel needed to receive by faith the salvation that God was holding out to her. In fact, this is what awakening in this text is all about. John, uh, John Oswald says this in his commentary. He says, although Zion's deliverance is wholly the work of God and not her own, she is not merely a passive recipient of God's work. Those whom God calls must exercise their own will and effort in response to what he has done on their behalf. This verse makes it that plain. Jerusalem is not merely lifted from the dust, but it's called to get up and shake off the dust. Likewise, she must remove the chains from her neck for herself. We cannot break the chains that bind us. Only God can do that. But when the chains are broken, we must remove them. And only we can do that. Now, we who are in Christ, we know that, that even, the, even that work, the exercise of our faith, is empowered by the Spirit of God. And glory be to God that the Spirit of God is in us to empower that work. Amen, people of God. But faith is the instrument through which we receive the salvation that God has won for us. Brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you this morning that the blessing of God's salvation, the strength, the beauty, the holiness that God has prepared for His people can only be received by faith, by trusting that God is who He says He is, that He will do what He says He will do, and and, and that He will give all that He said He would to those who hope in Him. This is the point of the writer of Hebrews. The point that he makes to those who he now calls to hope in Christ, who is the source of all God's salvation purposes in this world. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Wake up, Israel. Wake up, church and receive by faith the salvation that God has promised to you. The salvation that is fulfilled in Christ Jesus, our Lord, amen. So what does that faith look like? What does faith look like when our, when our beauty has been turned into ashes? Well, first of all, brothers and sisters, it means believing that God rules. Believing that God rules. Uh, the, the picture painted in, in verse 7 provides a reason for God's uh, encouragement in verses 1 to 2 for Israel to put on strength, to put on her beautiful attire, to shake off uh, the dust, to loose the bonds of their captivity, and, and to take their seat uh, in an exalted place. The image is, is a city under siege, uh, waiting to hear news about a battle that is going on outside of its view between its army and a besieging army. All of a sudden, they see a messenger coming over the mountains with a victory banner or a palm branch illustrating that their side has won, that the siege is over, that they have been saved from ultimate destruction. This is the reason that the messenger's feet are described as beautiful. They, they are bringing good news that a victory has been won on behalf of the people. And the announcement to, to Jerusalem and the announcement by extension to us is that our God reigns. And this would have come as a powerful reminder to a people uh, whose circumstances were pressing in on them and and seeking to persuade them that that the real power was in the hands of their oppressors. No doubt they would have heard that message over and over again while they were in exile, that that Babylon and its false gods had overpowered Israel and her God and won the victory. Imagine, if you will, not only being oppressed, but being told by your oppressors that the God in whom you had trusted had been overcome." I, 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 imagine, imagine being told that there would be no rescue because your God was not strong enough to rescue. Imagine the sense of hopelessness that would have set in for many, the doubts that would have creeped into even the minds of the most faithful among God's people. It's one thing to be oppressed. It's another to be without hope of rescue. It's one thing to be oppressed. It's another thing to be without the hope of rescue. And some of you know that feeling of hopelessness I'm talking about. Some of you know the creeping doubt of which I speak. Some of you have experienced the kind of hardships that bring about that hopelessness, that bring about that doubt. And every single one of us in here and every single human being in this world has been and are, apart from God's salvation, crushed underneath the oppressive weight of our sin and our rebellion against God. But glory be to God that, in, that right in the midst of our hardships, right in the midst of that oppressive weight of sin and rebellion... God comes with a message of deliverance and hope. And I I want you to notice this morning. What I want you to notice this morning is that message of hope, that message of God's rule, that message of God's reign doesn't come after the siege is over, but before. (laughs) I'm going to say that again. That, That message of hope that message of salvation, that message of deliverance does not come after the siege is over, it comes before. While, while, while the people are still in Babylon, God tells them to take the chains off their neck and shake the dust off and put on their beautiful garments. Why? Because God is not waiting for your circumstances to match up with His declaration. No, His declaration is what will change your circumstances. You see, God God didn't just become king at the messenger's announcement. He was already king. He was king before the exile started. He was king while the exile was going on, and He will be king when it is over. Israel was sent into exile because of God's sovereign ruling, and they will be brought out through His sovereign ruling. God's reign, therefore, brothers and sisters, doesn't come as a response to our goodness, and it isn't bound by the power of our oppressors. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die, but God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners... While we were still in our mess, while we were still in our captivity, while we were were still in those set of hard circumstances and difficulties and trials, while while we were still in the mess and muddle of life that we created, Christ died for us. God reigns, and faith is believing in that reign believing in what God has done for us through Christ, even when the circumstances of our lives are pressing in the lie that we are hopeless, the lie that God is powerless to save us. So I have a question for you this morning. Where do you need that announcement again in your life? That announcement again that the Lord reigns. For Israel, it was in the dark circumstances of captivity in a foreign land. Maybe for you it's in the midst of your spiritual captivity to your sin. Though Christians are no longer slaves to sin, we can still fall into patterns of sinful behavior that can feel like captivity. And thus the announcement that your God reigns reminds us that we are no longer slaves and that we can, like Israel, through the power of the Spirit, loose the shackles from around our necks that sin seeks to restore. So whatever your sin struggle, the rule of God in you through the power of the Spirit can help you break free of it. Faith means believing such that you take the necessary steps to overcome that sin. Faith would mean sharing the struggle with someone or some people that can pray for you and walk alongside of you. Faith could mean depending on the struggle, removing things from your life that tempt you toward evil. Believing that your God reigns also means believing that the things that affect us corporately are also not outside of God's sovereign control. So injustices at the institutional level, ethnic, racial prejudice, gender-based discrimination, things like this are not outside of God's control. Israel was in captivity to listen to me for 70 years. Trust me, people within the community of God's people prayed for God's deliverance for decades before God delivered on that promise. To this end, I think also about Christians in places where Christianity is under threat, where people's lives are in danger for believing in Christ. Faith for God's people in those places means believing that your God reigns even when facing evil that can take you out of the world, let alone ridicule and loss of property, income, and the like. Faith in God's reign is a practical thing because it means believing something that you cannot see, such that you keep doing the things that God tells you to do until God brings about what He has promised. Amen, people of God. Israel was still in Babylon when the announcement came, and God said, trust me, I'm about to do a great thing. And God is saying to you right now this morning, I reign, trust me, and do the things that I am calling you to do as my people. Amen, people of God. Faith means believing that God reigns. It also means believing that God vindicates. You heard me say this before, but the word vindicates means to show or prove to be in the right. And part of the impact of Israel's captivity had been a profaning of God's name among His enemies. In the eyes of Israel's enemies, physical and spiritual, God had been shown up to be a liar. That's what Israel's enemies believe. Their their temporal success in destroying God's city and binding his people in captivity have emboldened them to believe that they and their false gods have won some sort of victory over God and his people." And so as God says in verse 5, "'Now therefore what have I here?' declares the Lord. Seeing that my people are taken away for nothing, their rulers well, declares the Lord, and continually all day my name is despised." There, there's some division among the commentators of who's doing the wailing in the first part of the verse Is it Israel's rulers wailing in grief at the condition that they and God's people find themselves in? Or is it Babylon's uh, rulers crying out in victory over God's people? Wherever you land, on that point, it's clear in the second part of the verse that in the midst of the crying out, God's name is being profaned by those who have captured His city and captured His people. But God's promise... In the text is that he will vindicate his name first among his own people they will know his name through God showing up and fulfilling his word God had told his people that rebellion would lead to discipline and that that discipline would be captivity in a foreign land but he also promised that they would not stay there forever that He would come and set them free, and that He would judge their captors. Jeremiah uh, prophesied about it. He uh, declares this, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the people of Israel are oppressed, and the people of Judah with them. All who took them captive have held them fast. They refuse to let them go. Their Redeemer is strong. The Lord of hosts is His name. He will surely plead their cause, that he may give rest to the earth, but unrest to the inhabitants of Babylon. A sword against the Chaldeans, declares the Lord, and against the inhabitants of Babylon, and against her officials and her wise men. A sword against the diviners, that they may become fools. A sword against her warriors, that they may be destroyed. A sword against her horses and her chariots, and against all the foreign troops in her midst, that they may become that they may become women, a sword against all her treasures, that they may become plundered, a drought against her waters, that they may be dried up, for it is a land of images, and they are mad over idols. Isaiah 50 verses 33 through 38, when God showed up, therefore, and dealt with Babylon, it would be proof that God was in the right all along that what he promises, he does, and that his judgments are altogether good. But God's salvation, secondly, would be a vindication of his name in the world. For the Babylon, Babylonians would come to understand that they were not the ones in control, but the Lord God Almighty. They would learn what it says. Why should the nation say, where's their God? Our God is in the heavens, and he does what he pleases and God's pleasure is always what is right. And so the Babylonians would learn this. This was a part of the message brought by one coming over the mountain with the good news of God's salvation. The Lord has bared his holy arm before all the nations and all the nations of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Can I tell you this morning why you ought to rejoice in the coming of Jesus? It's because in Jesus, God's name is finally and fully vindicated. Because of Jesus, sin has had to let go of our lives, as God promised. Because of Jesus, death has had to let go of its grip over our life. And now the saying quoted by the Apostle Paul has come true. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your victory? stain. Faith is believing that in Jesus, God has vindicated His name, and that in that vindication is your salvation. So if His vindication is your ultimate salvation, listen to me this morning, then certainly you can trust Him to be with you in your temporal circumstances to fulfill the promise He has made to us in His Word. Amen, people of God. And so the call here is to trust God's character as God. God's name represents his character. It includes his rule, but it also includes his righteousness and his justice and his holiness and his goodness and his compassion and his grace and his love. Our enemies want us to believe that God has changed his mind about us that God has changed his mind about what he promises to do for us. I said this last week that our circumstances can press in on us and cause the glory of God to be diminished in our sight such that doubt about God's character as God can creep in. But God is not a man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. He said it, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? It's Numbers eleven, uh, Numbers twenty-three, verse nineteen. And by the way, that came out of the mouth of a false prophet who was trying to curse Israel, but whom God made tell the truth, even though he wanted to bear false testimony. So the call is to believe in God's commitment to defend his character in your life and in the world, even though you may not trust your own heart, even though you may not trust the hearts of others to carry out their purpose, their promises, to act consistently for the good, you can trust God to always be true to what he says he will do and who he says he is. The exercise of faith here, brothers and sisters, is also practical. Because if I know God's justice will prevail, then I can act justly in every area of my life. If I know God's love will meet me in my trials, then I can act with love toward those around me. If I know that God's grace will be there for me when I mess up, then I can extend grace to others who fail faith is believing that the character of God will not fail such that I can do what God actually calls me to do in the world. Amen, people of God. Faith means believing that God's rules. It means believing that God vindicates. Finally, brothers and sisters, it means believing that God sanctifies. In those last verses, God gives his people a command. He has started by saying to them, Awake! Awake. And now he says to them at the end, depart. Depart. Go out from there. Touch no unclean thing. Go out from the midst of her. Purify yourselves, you who bear the vessels of the Lord. Despite their failure. Despite their, their utter failure. Israel was still, by virtue of the covenant that God had made with them, considered to be His holy people. When calling his people to awake, in verses one to two, he defines the city of Jerusalem that his people once inhabited and would soon inhabit again. Not only on the basis of its of its sin and failure, but on the basis of what he had called it to be. Jerusalem is still, in God's eyes, the holy city. Thus, his people in his eyes are still those called out to be a holy people, that is, a people set apart, a people called out to be distinct in their faith, in their life, in their witness in this world. They are the same people to whom God said in Leviticus 19, you shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. And in that same passage, the chapter following God then describes that holiness, in part, as refraining from participating in the corrupt practices of the nations around them, but instead reflecting the goodness of God through true worship and love of neighbor and care for women and care for children and sexual purity and the like. Israel was to be a distinct people, people who refused to participate in that which promoted evil personally or corporately in the world. Therefore, God's return to Zion, his deliverance of his people, his work of salvation on their behalf to set them back in the place from which he had thrust them out, came with a renewed call to walk in the holiness that Israel had rejected, a renewed call to to live in the world as God had called them and empowered them to. Departing Babylon, therefore, was not just a command to physically leave, but a command to depart from the oppressive practices that they had seen there. It was a command not to embrace or cling to the practices they had seen there. You see, here's the thing about oppression and injustice. When we see that it works, that it secures some temporal comfort, some temporal power or peace in this world, the temptation of our sinful hearts can be to participate in it, to turn and do to others what we have ourselves experienced. But God says to His people, when you leave Babylon, you are to leave Babylon and all that it represents. Don't touch anything unclean, Anything used in their corporate worship, anything used in their corrupt practices, purify yourself from the idolatry that you saw, that the abuses to the creation by turning created things into gods. Purify yourselves by purging from your thoughts, speech, and practices whatever you picked up there that was corrupt. Purify yourselves from the greed you saw that turns human beings into commodities for the purpose of creating wealth for the few while others go impoverished. Purify yourself from the violence that you saw that destroys lives and families without cause and without remorse. Purify yourself from the pride you saw where nations boast over against other nations of their superiority, even though they are created in the same image as those nations. Purify yourselves from all of that. Because you are my people. A people set apart. People called out to show the world what true righteousness looks like in action. And isn't this the call of the church of Jesus Christ, who is the fulfillment of all that God has promised in saving us from sin and death? Therefore, with your therefore with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed that is coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires that you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. And what are those evil desires that we lived in, that we are still struggling with post salvation? It's the same idolatry, it's the same greed, it's the same corrupt speech, it's the same violence. It's the same pride. It's the same sexual immorality and the like. You don't believe me? Then read any New Testament letter and hear God's people being called away from these very things. Why? Because in our sin nature, we are still tempted to walk in these things. And here's the promise that's attached to the call. I want you to hear again the words of the Lord. Here's the promise attached to the call. For you shall not go out in haste, and you shall not go in flight, for the Lord will go before you, and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. The promise that is attached to the call to depart, to go out, to refrain, to resist from following the practices that you have seen, the promise is the sanctifying presence of God who will be our front, and our rear guard as we depart. His presence will be with us to help us put one foot in front of the other physically and spiritually as we walk away from participation in the corrupt practices that are in this world. And for we who are believers, we know that this presence is the Holy Spirit of God. Amen. Who is in each one of us through our faith in Jesus Christ. And so to keep the language of the text in front of us, here's my question. Where do you need to depart? From what and from where do you need to depart as it relates to your walk with the Lord? What things are you clinging to that represent your old life before Christ? Are you clinging to pride, self-righteousness that you view and relate to others as if they are beneath you? Are you clinging to greed such that you hold your resources for your own benefit even when you see others in need and have it in your power to help them? Do you hate the poor because you think unlike you? they haven't pulled themselves up by their own bootstraps? Are you clinging to violence such that the only way you know to solve conflict is with angry words, gestures, or actions? Do you bully people to get what you want, to make them do what you want? Look at your own life, look at your own heart, And ask yourself, from what do I need to depart? We're really good at seeing what other people need to do to depart. We're really good at seeing what other people need to leave, what other people need to be rescued from. I want to invite you this morning to do some self-examination. What is God calling you away from? that you are clinging to, that represents the Babylons of this world. I'm amazed right now at some of the things I hear profess Christians willing to adopt to win status culturally, to win status politically to win status educationally, economically, practices that run counter to the call of God, to love, to be generous, to suffer for the sake of Christ, to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. And some people think if they say a bad thing nicely, it's not bad. Some people think if they say a bad thing nicely, that it's not bad. But can I tell you something this morning? Some ideas are unbiblical, whatever tone you use to express them. Some things are just wrong, just evil, unrighteous and not good. God says to his people, depart. Don't be like them. Don't do what you see them do. Don't say what you see them say. Don't worship what you see them worship. Don't give your heart to what you see them give their hearts to. And the New Testament is no longer full of is is no The New Testament is no less full of commands for Christians to resist the world's way of doing things and to cling to what is right. Amen, people of God. Faith means believing that God reigns. It means believing that God vindicates. It means believing that God sanctifies. God's salvation brings with it the promise of God's restoration. And our trials, our hardships, our difficulties, the things that we go through can turn our lives into ashes. It can rob us of the sense of beauty that was granted to us in covenant with God, the beauty that comes with being His people, with being His image in this world. And so God's salvation comes with a message that in Christ we are restored. If any man be in Christ, he is A new creation. Behold, the old has passed and everything has become new. In Christ, we are being built up into what we were always intended to be a reflection of the image of God in this world. Your trials can't take that away. And faith in the midst of those trials looks like believing that, believing. In the midst of your trials, that your God still reigns. Believing in the midst of your trials, that your God will vindicate. Believing in the midst of your trials, that your God will continue to walk with you and through his sanctifying presence, make you what he always intended you to be, a holy reflection of his image in this world. Amen, people of God. Let's pray. God, we give you glory. We give you honor. We give you praise. We thank you, Jesus, that you came into this world to save save sinners. And all of us were trapped in the captivity of our sin. And we were all, Lord, headed toward death and all headed toward hell. But you came and rescued us and set us free from our captivity. And now, Lord, now we are invited by you. To awake, to awake and to receive by faith the salvation that you hold out to us. So I pray this morning, if there's anybody in this room that doesn't know you, anybody in this room who came here this morning, Lord, who came here this morning with their faith not in you, I pray that something that has been said from your word, Lord, would grab a hold of their hearts and that they would turn from their sin and they would turn towards you. And I pray for your people this morning who have their faith in you, Lord, that you would strengthen their faith, strengthen their faith in the midst of their trials and their difficulties and their hardships to believe that you still reign, that you vindicate, and that you sanctify. I pray and ask this in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior.